0: Again. Again. Let's
1: uh... let's all sing another song. Let's we'll stretch these summer nights out extra long. Let's set fire to a building we don't like. And watch the glow and enjoy the orange light. Cause we all are gonna die someday alone. Cause we all are gonna die someday alone.
2: Howie folks, uh, how's it going? Welcome to the Garrett Schalke Podcast. I am your host, your boy, Garrett Schalke. And uh, today's a very special episode of the podcast. And it's also a very big day here in Chicago. It's a Halloween weekend. I'm seeing Dead Mouse later tonight. And uh, right now, I'm uh, interviewing a fellow literary comrade. He is a writer and poet from Ohio, is the author of $100 a Week Motel, he has a new novel out titled The Dead and the Desperate Folks, it's uh, Dan Dunson. Dan, how's it going, dude?
3: Hey Gary, how you doing, brother?
2: Yep, we're uh, live at the Bourgeoisie Pig And uh, we got some jazz in the background there Which will give us more of an NPR feel And hopefully will not get me copyright striked
3: we, we could be like the uh, outlaw version of NPR Small Desk Poet Session
2: Oh, jeez <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. NPR's been really fun to listen to these past few weeks with the ongoing conflict in Israel, Palestine. <laughs> Oof. But uh, yeah, yeah. Also, uh, folks, my uh, mics—I accidentally busted my mic stand because uh, it's cheap plastic. So I am holding up this mic. You know, practicing my mic skills. Make sure it's not too far away or too close. Anyway.
3: Dan, uh, how's it going, dude? Good, man. Uh, 2023, what a time to be alive.
2: Yeah, uh, I think that's the last time I saw you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was uh, 2020. I believe so.
3: I think so. Is that the last one we did, like, the simulcast uh, podcast?
2: Yeah, when I came to your house. Yeah. You know, the perfect time to see someone face-to-face, 2020.
3: It was, yeah. Uh, Is this the third time? I've been on your podcast? Yeah. Uh, I think
2: we, so. Yeah,
3: we uh, are. Yeah, Am I you, close
2: uh, enough? Yeah, yeah, you're good. And, uh, yeah, we, yeah, I met you at your house, house four. Uh, we done a phone interview. Now we're, uh, doing this one here at, uh, Chicago Bourgeoisie Pig.
3: We're, uh, we're going to have to do a different location every time now.
2: Yeah, sorry about that. And,
3: uh,
2: uh yeah, we, uh, I don't know, I guess where we meet. And, uh. Well, wow, it seems like you're going to different places. You're living different places, too, nowadays. Yeah, you so, have...
3: uh, uh, you know, like every good American, I got fed up with stuff, and so I quit a really good union job and sold everything and moved into a camper to be a writer, <laughs> <laughs> despite even I even I know this is crazy, you know. Um, but, yeah, uh, right now my camper is in an undisclosed location, in uh, southern Michigan, near the uh, Indiana-Ohio area, the border there. Yeah, I think you're like,
2: okay, not to dox you here, but I think you're like an hour and a half away from me.
3: Actually. Yeah,
2: closer to you. Yeah, so we were, uh, so we were originally thinking of uh, me coming down and visiting you, but then I had this show I'm going to tonight here in Chicago. Then I just happened to see a poetry reading that you're like the main star of today. I'm like... Oh, shit, there we go. It's lining up.
3: Yeah, you're about to have a really good long day in Chicago, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, you got plans tomorrow here in town, or are you going back home tomorrow?
2: Uh, yeah, I got to head back home. Uh, Hopefully you can
3: sleep in, man.
2: Uh, yeah, I technically could, because uh, I'm seeing a show tomorrow night, too. Okay. Uh, Eric Andre. You ever heard of him? Mm-mm. Oh, man. Uh, Why does that sound familiar? Maybe. Eric Andre, he's a uh, comedian mainly associated with Adult Swim you had, okay, like, his, yeah, yeah. You had like the Eric Andre mm-hmm. show which was like this satire anti late night show kind of thing it's just super weird I'll show you some clips later
3: That that's one thing here let me let me give a shameless plug to the Garrett Shulky podcast uh, if you follow Garrett on social media you will find the most interesting podcasts local concerts and like Common comedians that you wouldn't have heard of probably that Garrett somehow finds and there's some real gems in there Garrett oh yeah we're uh, like you're pretty um, consistent about your uh, your taste in, in art <laughs> <laughs> hey man I
2: talk to friends acquaintances and favorite people and a lot of them happen to be in that category yeah yeah, I'm, yeah and actually this year uh not as consistent as usual cause I've been working on my next novel and uh my editor, Zach Elblatt, and I have a new podcast together called The Cheeseburger Blues. An introduction to Dad Blues Rock, where we uh, make fun of bad blues music. Oh, nice. But yeah, uh, this end of the year, I'm uh, really uh, going for it. with a, with had two previous podcasts, now I got you, I got two more lined up. I'm going out strong this year. Nice. What's your uh, new novel about? Oh, The uh, Lays... Latest one has come out this year. <laughs> advertisement time is a uh, in the Gladiator Killer, the next installment of my uh, Golden series. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, that's come out in December, and it's uh, currently serializing on Wattpad. Okay, where I uploaded the new chapter last night. I'm uploading it every Monday and Friday. It's apparently number six on there in like their serialization charts. <laughs> wow, that got popular quickly. <laughs> Yeah, man, congratulations. Yeah, then I got another one next year that, uh, oh God. long story short, I'm, uh, now from now on, gonna type out everything that, I, everything that I do, all novels, short stories. I mean, I'll still write poems down and then transcribe them, but I got no more transcribing novels or short were you, stories. Were you writing
3: them by hand?
2: Yeah, I know. With an
3: ink pen? Yeah. Dude? Yeah, in a, note, in a notebook. Uh, so. I still will write a lot in notebooks, uh, but working in the factory so many years, like my hand, I can't hold an ink pen more than like fifteen or twenty minutes without my hand going down. Uh, so it's like I've learned to like use my phone more bit more in place of my old notebook. You know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Geez, it's just a pain in the
3: ass because all
2: this time I could be writing and editing, I'm transcribing. Yeah.
3: God. Uh, uh, have you Have you written Have you typed a novel yet? Like. Typed it that way first yet?
2: No, I never
3: have. Oh I've, man, do you I've,
2: think it's going to be different for you? Uh, maybe. Uh, it's going to take some getting used to. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident I'll be a lot happier than I am right now, where uh, I'm only like 15 pages away from finishing the other transcription.
3: God, I feel like eating a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, yeah, you know, that's artists have to make do, man. That's yeah. Um. Let me ask you a question. I'm a bit curious. I don't think I've ever asked you this, so I know you work a pretty regular, like forty-hour week gig with some overtime, right?
2: Oh uh, yeah, and uh, we're entering that the holiday mandatory yeah. time right now. And yeah.
3: so when you work those eight or nine-hour shifts, right, uh, or ten, more, ten-hour ten ten shifts, ten-hour shifts, four
2: ten-hour shifts usually.
3: Do you uh, do you write every day still, or do you like how do you
2: write? Uh, it's very erratic, you know, sometimes, some days I'll dedicate to writing, sometimes to editing, sometimes, you know, to making podcasts, to making music, it depends more so like on the project I'm doing, and, uh, I've also come to peace too with two things, uh, one, I'm a slow writer, you know, as much as I love, you know, Kerouac, you know, I can't be like him, plus he was on he's on an half the time, that <laughs> helps, and two, uh, yeah, uh, I just got our stuff going on, and if I can't write, then I can't write, especially yeah. if I'm feeling tired or sick. You know, I used to try to force myself, like, a oh, real writer, Kerouac would write through this, and I was like, wow, this is dumb, I, I should go back to bed.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: uh, but between all of your projects, you probably do something creative every day. Yeah, usually. That's, that's kind of how I've learned to adapt, I think, like, same way, I... I'll never be the Stephen King sit down for six hours every morning and write. I couldn't do that. I oh, would, man, that that you, would be like a job. I would Ste- hate it.
2: Stephen King is a special kind of freak. Yeah.
3: But, you know, like there's those like, I don't know, I, I always call them quote unquote real writers. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) You know, but there's those writers that, that work, that, that have office hours and they sit down and they hammer out so many words every day. I'm never going to be that guy, man.
2: I tried, but. I know, but those guys are also like king, you know,
3: insanely
2: rich and they literally don't have to do anything else. Well, maybe
3: that's what we need to start doing so we get at least not broke all the time. Yeah, you know, that'd be very (laughs) Maybe we should do something different. I couldn't if I tried.
2: Actually, uh, yeah, we could get into that because, uh. Yeah, let's uh, do some catching up, shall we? Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, like I said, it's been a while since the plague year started. Uh, what have you been up to since then? <sighs>
3: uh, that's so, oh, in three years since I've seen you in person. Uh, yeah,
2: can you uh, can you just quickly summarize what you've been doing in three years, Dan Denton?
3: Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, I can give you the 90-second spiel. Uh, no, I've uh, been writing. So When we met, uh, I just had my first novel published. And it was published on Punk Hostage, and that got me a lot of attention with, the, like, the independent press. So I've had two books published and written since then. Um, a couple of, like, poetry. Uh, one of the cool things is my new novels on Ingram. So now independent bookstores can order, like, co- 10 copies of my book, and if they don't sell them, they can send them back. So Wait, there's no In- risk. Ingram, what is Ingram, that? I-N-G-R-A-M. Oh, what is that? It's a... Um, it's the stocking service that almost every independent bookstore in America in the world uses. Oh, really? I, I don't know about the world. A I've, lot of countries. <laughs> I've never heard, never heard of it. Uh, I I just so this is the value of having an independent bookstore in your community and being and getting to be friends with the owners. Mm-hmm. That's what I learned was an independent bookstore could order from Amazon, but if they order ten books, they they got to sell them or they have them forever. Uh, now that my books available on Ingram. They can order ten books and if they only sell five they can send the other five back so now independent bookstores are more likely to say hey so I think because of that I'm gonna be in like six or seven bookstores by the end of the year a couple like the Detroit Cleveland Columbus you know like that's a huge deal for me man here in Chicago uh, I'm working on that so uh, I, I, I so far the people I've talked to almost every one of them has been like oh cool man you used to be a union steward in the UAW you know yeah you know um, which I never wanted that to be the thing that got me in the door. I just want to be a writer. But, you know, whatever it takes, man. Uh, so, yeah, I had a couple books come out. Uh, I uh, was a union steward when we met, I believe. And that job almost killed me. Uh, I'm not cut out for the talking to 200 people every day of my life, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm an introvert <laughs> and an artist, and I like to be alone. But, uh, I mean, that job was the best and worst job I ever had in my life. And then... Uh, I couldn't just like give up on being involved, so I got elected a constitutional delegate in the UAW, and I got to be a part of like pushing to get the one member one vote passed, and I got to be a part of getting our new leadership elected, man. Uh, and then right during the time that was going on, I'd went through a divorce and some other things. Been through a lot of hard times since the pandemic, just like everybody, man. And uh, so I kind of you know I was living in an apartment and like you know I don't have a lot to lose anymore. You know, my kids are older, and uh, I got offered a very small buyout to take an early retirement, even though I'm 45 years old. And uh, I said, fuck it. <laughs> and I took the money and sold everything and bought a camper, and I'm going to try to be a... Like, I'll have to gig, you know. I'm have to. i going to try to maybe find a part-time job in a disco or something, you know, just to make, pay, cover my monthly expenses up. But from now on, I'm going to be a writer first, you know.
2: Oh, okay. So you basically are secure for the most part.
3: No, not at all, man. <laughs>
2: okay. uh
3: You know, I, I, the one thing going for me is I used to be homeless so I can live like, I can live pretty cheap and that's exactly like I wanted to, like, I don't, I don't, all I have is a campground rent now. I don't have an electric bill. I don't have water bills. I don't have, you know, I don't have debt, you know, so I'm trying to live as cheap as I can, you know, to hopefully like gig as little as I can and write more, you know, that's kind of the, you know, but yeah, you know, I'm definitely more secure than I've been in other times of life. You know, it's definitely not as secure as making a six-figure UAW job, Garrett. <laughs> I think that that's the part that scares me still a little bit, you know.
2: Wait, so how long have you been retired now?
3: Uh, four months. Oh, really? Four yeah, months? just the end of June Shit. or July for, like, uh, it seemed July long holiday. No, it was, it's been just uh, early July.
2: <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Uh, so, the camper life. Uh, what inspired you to uh, live that way? Ah. <sighs> You know,
3: I think somewhere along the way, so I've worked in probably, I think I counted, like 48 factory jobs in my life, or 48 warehouses, blue collar type work, right? And I finally got a six-figure UAW job. And when I say six-figure, that's working 70 hours a week. It's not like they're just giving me money. You know what I mean? Like, I average 70 hours a week for 10 years. and. Being an ex-homeless addict, I, I was able to buy a house for the first time in my life, do things that I never dreamed I could do. And I realized at some point that those 70-hour weeks and chasing those big vacations, that's not freedom, man. That's not what I want in my life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think the older I get, the more I want to do more of what I want to do and less of what I have to. And I can't, like, I don't have enough money to just, like, say, fuck it and never work again. Mm-hmm. Uh and I might not ever get there. I might have to work till the day I die in America. You know, I don't know. Uh, same. But I'm going to do my best to, like, not have to work 70 hours a week again. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Hmm. I don't, that's not, that's not happy. Plus, all these years in the back, I've got arthritis in, like, seven different places, man. Like, how many more years can I work on an assembly line, you know? Uh, so I think. Uh, Wait, they, so so they bought you out, you said. But yes, yeah, they what, bought me out. What is the retirement age? For right auto, now, for auto workers, well, UAW. so their union contracts are changing. There's some pension things coming back, so there's some things about to change. I mean, uh, there's a lot
2: of things changing. Yeah, right a there. lot of things are changing. Yeah, we'll get now. to that. Uh,
3: and we're about fucking time, man. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I lost my train of attack. I got excited about. It. So, right now in the UAW, in my current like before I got bought out, you know, uh, the retirement age minimum was 59 and a half years old. <laughs> so. <laughs> You have like they give you like a certain percentage every week of a forty-hour check goes into a four hundred one k for you, but you can't access that till you're fifty-nine and 59 half years old. Hmm. Uh, no matter how, no matter like, say you win a hundred thousand dollars, I want to retire at fifty-five. Too bad, twenty or ten percent penalty, you know, to take your money out plus the heavy taxes. So it's uh, yeah, man, I'm forty-five, so I'm not old enough. Like it's funny though because I called so, it. So you would have to wait
2: like, well, yeah, fourteen years to
3: get it. Yes. Uh, I tried, uh, just to be funny, I uh, sent a paperwork into, like, the Social Security, and uh, they told me I was too young to retire. So, I'm like, but I did. Mother. (laughs) Uh, You know, this is one of the things i You know rich people stop paying, like, Social Security tax after $150,000, right? Yep. So, I have worked so much in my life. They send me a Social Security... statement every year right how mm-hmm. much you paid in your lifetime as a yearly breakdown every year since i was like 32 years old so for 13 years now it's, it has told me that i have worked so much that i qualify for the maximum benefit if i got disabled or when i retire right All right then why do i still have to piggy paying taxes <sighs> see what i'm saying here like this doesn't make sense it's boom <laughs> anyway uh yeah man things are changing in the uaw
2: yeah, so uh, back, yeah, back to the camper life. Uh, yeah, so was this always
3: something you planned on doing or wanted to do? You know, I think when the pandemic happened, I know when the pandemic happened and I was shut down from the factory for two months, I got really excited about watching, like, van life, people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, I'm fascinated. For years, maybe for a long time, I've been, like, fascinated about maybe buying a tiny house and living off grid. You know, I don't need much. That's one thing. I've never chased a lot of material things in my life. Like, you know, outside of books and art, like, I don't have anything, <laughs> you know, but I've got, but I moved from my apartment, by the way, I had five, almost 5,000 books. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I can only carry about 250 around in a camper. But, uh, so I think uh, I got really obsessed with, like, band life, and it, that seemed like freedom, being able to move around. Like, I love to travel, you know, I love like, to travel too. So when I decided to do this, I picked a camper instead of a a van because I don't want to move every day. Like, you know, you camp in a van, live in a van, you have to, like, pack your stuff up and move every day. And I wanted to be able to, like, park my camper for a month or two somewhere, check that place out, get to know it well, and then move on somewhere else, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a a mix between the everyday transient. So it's kind of like, I guess, I'll put in the old life still. Like, I'm going to be in a – like, I'll be in – Uh, near Fort Wayne, Indiana for a few months this winter because they have an all-season campground there that's cheap. Uh, By the way, Fort Wayne apparently has a pretty big art scene, so I'm looking forward to, like, checking that out for a while.
2: Oh, yeah, I uh, usually go there uh, once a year to check out. Oh, hey, uh, we got another special guest here. Uh, Hello there. Hey, how's it going?
0: Doing good.
2: Folks, We just had a special guest walk in here. It's uh, Chicago writer, uh, Wesley Hines.
0: Yeah, hi Garrett. We've been uh, Facebook friends for some time.
2: Yeah, for a minute. Yeah, uh, thank you for joining us.
0: Yeah. I'm really excited to have Dan uh, feature at my uh, poetry open mic tonight, if anyone's in the Chicago area. Um, It starts at 5, goes to 8, and Dan's one of the best uh, live poets that I've ever seen, so... It's a feather in my cap to have him as a as a guest. So, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, you just arrived here just in time. We uh, I don't know. Let's see. We've been yeah for nearly 20 minutes. We've been talking. <laughs> yeah.
3: we, we've always tended to do that though, Gary. It's like two hours of rambling usually.
2: Oh yeah. Jeez, he, I got I gotta get more than like a two way splitter some one of these days. Yeah, you know, that
3: artists got to do what they got to do, man. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I've been looking at, uh, so the UAW Local 12, my union, I'm still a uh, UAW retiree, by the way. I pay retiree dues, so I'm still a card-carrying. Like, it's important to me to always be a card-carrying union member. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, but uh, they're uh, talking about starting a podcast. They're finally talking about maybe using some technology to communicate. Like, Well, no better time to start than now. Yeah, That's so sure. uh, I've been working, because of my old podcast experience, I've been working with, like, showing them equipment. I've offered to help any way I can, and so maybe that'll lead to some possibilities of doing some union podcasting. That'd be cool. All right. All right.
2: To uh, continue the conversation here. <laughs> All right. So uh, how about uh, describe your uh, camper setup? Like, what kind of camper
3: do you have? So I bought a 20-year-old Coachman Spirit of America. It's 26 foot long. Uh, I had to have a bunk area. My, I, I've got a 12-year-old, and I've got 19-year-old twins in college. So it's important for me that kids know that they have a bed to sleep in, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, And so far they love, they they all love camping. So they're pretty excited about it. My kids were the biggest fans of me doing this, you know. Uh, But uh, so I've got a 26-foot camper. I, uh, I took the dinette set out. And right now I've got a temporary setup. But I'm going to build a custom, like, desk studio where there'll be, like, a desk along the main window, then, like, two chairs, you know, where the benches used to be. So that way I'll have a permanent, like, workstation, rider station everywhere I go, you know. Mm-hmm. So basically it's, uh, I moved out of a 750-square-foot, some more to two-bedroom apartment into, like, a 200-square-foot camper, you know, just condensed, <laughs> that's all. All right. <laughs> just on wheels now, you know.
2: Yeah, uh, what kind of campgrounds do you before, perform?
3: Uh, I mean, the cheap ones. Uh, so one thing I've learned, if you're a camper, if it says resort or park, like, if resorts are more expensive, then parks are second. So I'm looking for campgrounds, <laughs> um, you know. Like right now, and I my campground rents five hundred dollars a month, no electric bill. You know, uh, there's some inconveniences. This morning when I left, it was forty two degrees. Walking back from the shower house and flip flops to hmm. your camper in forty degree weather, so it's you know it's there's some trade offs. Uh, I don't use the shower in my camper. That's where my cat's litter box is. Uh, <laughs> But uh, you know, I in the winter time here soon when freezing hits, I gotta I carry water by hand and cans to my camper, so I don't want to, you know, have to like carry thirty gallons of water every day just to take a shower, you know. So I use the campground's bathhouse. So you know, there's some trade-offs. But yeah, I gotta, I'm gonna, I hopefully will have a full setup, you know, have a full office space, and I uh, named my camper the Scrapes of Wrath with a nod to John Steinbeck for obvious reasons, you know. Mm. So.
2: Yeah, uh, since I'm friends with you on Facebook, I follow your journey. Uh, besides this, uh,
3: you travel a lot more since you retired, right? Yeah, that's, uh. well, I, I got really fortunate. I met some, some, my my first publisher of my novel, Punk Concerts Press, was in Los Angeles. So I've got some contacts in Los Angeles, and then I made some contacts with some poetry people in Vegas. And uh, I love Vegas. I got Vegas's... It's a relatively inexpensive vacation if you know how to do it. Really? Uh, yeah, La- sure. Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, I can. Uh, so I got a Spirit Saber Pass. That's the first way. I, it cost me like seventy bucks a year, and I get alerts all the time. So when I applied, when I flew to Vegas last time. It was like a hundred twenty-five dollar round ticket, round trip ticket from Detroit. Hmm. But I flew at like eleven fifty-nine p.m. both times. So it's <laughs> red eye flights. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. When I go, I stay. I stay in a, like an off strip hotel. And I try to go like I try not to ever pay more than like forty or fifty bucks a night for a place to sleep. Um, my biggest expense usually like a car rental if I go places. you know, like this year I decided to like I love the desert and I decided to like do some hiking and exploring in the desert and it's very nice. yeah, it's been pretty it's been you know, I don't know, man, you work hard your whole life and then you finally get an opportunity to. Meet some cool poets and go see the Grand Canyon in the same day. You know, it's a pretty cool experience. So.
2: Yep. So uh okay. So you're gonna be at uh, you're gonna be staying at our campground Fort Wayne this winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, or got any uh, future travel plans or any other places you plan on staying?
3: Uh, so I don't know how it's gonna go yet, but I'm gonna spend probably four to six weeks this late winter, early spring out west. Mm-hmm. Um, I plan. I I I think. I might be able to pull off, like, a little tour with some readings in, like, Albuquerque, Phoenix, Vegas, San Francisco. Places I've never read at. But well, I read in Vegas already, but, like, some places I've never been. San Francisco, L.A. Um, so, I'm going to try to get out there for four to six weeks. And it sounds like it's going to be, like, car camping, crashing on couches, and cheap motels kind of tour. Mm-hmm. Just because, like like I said, tra- like dragging my camper around every two or three days is really expensive. You know, like, it's a... Four thousand five hundred pound camper when it's not loaded, you know. So it's, I think my truck gets like ten miles a gallon when I pull. I bought a two thousand six, made in America Ram truck. I mm-hmm. uh, got a great deal from a retired union brother, uh, and uh, but yeah, it's you know it's expensive to pull it across the country. So I think I'm going to have to do some different. My plan is eventually, to like spend the summers in the Midwest and the winters somewhere warm. That's my goal someday. Ah, I'm going full snowport then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 like I said, I've got arthritis in like six or seven places, man. It gets cold, yeah, it's not yeah, fun. Yeah, warm weather would probably help And i bipolar. You know, I have a lot of mental health challenges. And there's something about 30 days in a row of being gray and no sunshine that just almost does me in every year, man. Uh, dude, that's
2: one thing I've lucked out with my uh, depression issues is that I don't have, like, seasonal depression. That's Somehow I've lucked out on that. Everything else... Uh no, it could be better. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I don't yeah, get, but I don't get sad if I don't get enough sun. So th- there you go.
3: Yeah, and that, and that's well, and I I think uh, I know. I work I work with all these people, and this is no knock on anybody in America, but we live these lives in this country, especially where we feel like Toledo's our home and it's got to be our home, or this is my job and I can't change it. You know what I mean? Mm. And I I've been guilty of that too. But not very long, usually. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's like when they first offered me this little bit of money to leave, the for my first thought was, there's no fucking way. I got kids. I got kids in college. I can't give up this job and my health insurance for that. And then like a week later, I thought, you know what, Dan, you always wanted to be a writer. And it's like, I just decided to figure out a way to live on Twelve hundred dollars a month instead of four thousand, you know. Yep. Oh, uh, full disclosure: if you would like to bash
2: America fully, f- feel free to fully do that. <laughs> I mean, I'll get there. You know I, it. I mean the last the last episode of my podcast called "America America Sucks." So, uh, uh, i
3: I've, you know me, Garrett. I'm a little bit more hopeful and optimistic than, than is logical a lot of times. <laughs> uh, but i t- my kids understand. One of my favorite catchphrases is America so much damn potential.
0: <laughs> so it's a little
3: more hopeful than, than America sucks, but yeah. <laughs>
2: nice.
0: And that's one of our great rights as Americans to freely criticize everything, and <laughs> as poets our duty to...
2: <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, before we continue the interview with Dan, uh, Wesley, uh, let's talk to you for a sec, man. Oh, sure. Yeah, since I don't want you to feel lonely here, oh, and so. And since being the professional podcaster I am, I have only two mics that we all must share.
0: But uh, yeah, I was wondering, how, how did you meet uh, Dan Denton? Well, um, when I was living in Los Angeles and I was uh, trying to get more into publishing in the underground press, um, I heard about him through Jack Varnell's uh, podcast called Socially Yet Distanced. And um, I... Listened to a couple episodes with um, John Dorsey, and I did a podcast with with Jack, and I watched the one with with uh, Dan, and um, and I ordered this book, uh, the hundred dollar a week motel, and I loved it. Like um, read it over a weekend, um, smooth read, but poetic, and. Uh, immediately sympathized with the, the main character which obviously is loosely based on, on Dan if not literally um, and you know so I kept my ears open when his publisher um, Michelle McDonald uh, uh, was going to um, do submissions for, for publishing and so when she did uh, in 2022, um, I submitted my book *Busking Blues* about being a street musician here in Chicago, mm-hmm. and got accepted. And you know, it it was really the the next step in publishing f- for me, and opened a lot of doors. And uh, you know, I'm really thankful to getting to know her and and Dan here. And we um, finally met. We did a reading in Indiana, which in, in was April, April, which went really well. Same place I met Gary.
2: Oh, wow. I, oh, wait. Yeah, that was uh, Michigan City uh, back in, what, 2017? 16 or 17? Uh, it had to be 17. I, w- I think I sold you a copy of Hub Jamboree, my nope. short story collection. Yep. So, yeah, 17. Wait, were you there?
0: No, no, we were oh, okay.
2: just...
3: Uh, <laughs> earlier this year. Yeah, they had person. like a one night only Michelle said about it. Like one night only we all met with Michelle and Red.
2: Oh yeah, that was like her last hurrah in Michigan City,
3: right? Yeah.
0: And then since I, I read his um, uh, Finding Jesus book, which I thought was brilliant, the um, uh, especially the part about uh, Prayers of My Saints, you know, where he did these interesting poems to... Cultural icons, you know, Kurt Cobain, Johnny Cash, James Joplin, Bukowski, Jackie Wells. Jackie Robinson. Yeah. yeah, Jackie Robinson, and, um, and I'm just like, man, that's like one of those ideas. was like, man, I could have done that, but I didn't. You know, like, it's brand, <laughs> brand idea. Like, it's, it was just in the air, and it's uh, because you know a lot of these um, you know musicians and writers and people have, are have kind of taken the role of saints in our culture in a way you know i'm referencing you know my b-generation books yeah. instead of the bible or, or
3: whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. all right uh one last quick question
2: then uh yeah so the reading tonight is at the gallery cabaret yep. uh how North Oakley. Yep. yeah i uh read there once years ago in uh, 2017 i uh i started having enough uh seniority at my job where i could uh week-long vacations and now i'll get like two and a half i think so i was like okay where should i go first oh i'll spend a week in chicago it's my favorite city
0: awesome during
2: that whole week i did poetry readings and i recorded them pretty much like how i'm doing now yeah. you know not much has changed and put it out as an album on Bandcamp. live in chicago yeah i think that was the first place i read was goward cabaret yeah. but uh how long have you been uh hosting the,
3: hey real the quick is that still available on Man Camp Garrett
2: oh yeah it's it's still there it's still on SoundCloud
0: yeah well there's been a poetry open mic there uh, in some shape or form for decades and obviously the pandemic shut down things so um when the bar reopened uh I threw my hat in the ring to revive it so that was good um so we started in May, and been doing um, the f- every fourth Saturday of the month since. But yeah, I've been a patron of them um, since my um, street musician days, because they had um, uh, music open mic three days a week, and one night they had uh, free food for musicians, so I never miss that. And there's never a cover, so it becomes, you know, since the 80s really, um, the unofficial hangout of every, you know, painter, poet, musician, because, you know, there's no cover. It's like a clubhouse for for artists, you know. Yeah,
2: Yeah, very nice.
0: Smashing Pumpkins got their start there as a garage band. (laughs) one fact.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right, Dan, uh, back to you. Uh, Let's talk about your uh, new novel, dude. Yeah, man. The Dead and the Desperate, which you can also get as a tie-dye shirt.
3: Uh, You cannot get as a tie-dyed shirt, but I have a uh, friend that's, like, one of the best tie-dye artists in the Midwest. So maybe you could, if you, like, buttered me up enough, maybe I could get her to make you one, too. (laughs) Okay. Which is actually, uh, I was debating. Let me ask you this question, guys. Bob Dylan never wears a Bob Dylan shirt, right? <laughs> like, I kind of feel like we this can't, is not... We can either defy it. No, defy but or... I feel like it's kind of oh, not yeah. cool to wear my own shirt. But right. somebody made this a tie-dye. It's a cool-ass shirt now that is tie-dyed. So I'm like, fuck it. But, like, I don't know if that's a cool thing to do or not. Uh, oh, bu- yeah? Uh, yeah really uh, uh,
1: do you? Yeah, I Bukowski, okay, cool. Fuck Bukow- it, If it's good enough Bukowski's for us, it's good enough for me. Or,
3: or
2: shirts with, like, his face yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> good point. All right. <laughs> All uh, right. So, yeah, so um,
3: my new novel... Uh, Yep, The Dead and the the Desperate, uh, what's it about? I tried my best to write a fictionalized version of what life was like. I should say a a, a fictionalized, authentic version of what life was like for me in my 20s before I got sober. And I I think it was important for me to do that because, number one, a lot of my friends uh, didn't make it to get sober and died. That's like the Midwestern refrain. But number two, I think that there's so many Americans that are working two jobs and living in poverty. And that's what I did in my 20s. Um, So I wrote, that's what the book's about. And in between the story, there's maybe a half dozen, maybe 12 essays. It's not even an essay. There's like maybe 12 chapters in there where maybe I do like a, a page and a half like generalized history of like cocaine use in the world. Uh, or there's like one about mental health or SSRIs. You know, I try to like, like I was uh, at my book release party last week, I mentioned uh, one fun fact that I've always wanted to tell people that not everybody knows that Sigmund Freud was addicted to cocaine. Oh, I (laughs) think that was pretty
2: well known, actually. Yeah, uh,
3: well, I've worked in a factory for a long time where people don't read, Garrett, and not everybody (laughs) knows that Sigmund (laughs) Freud's addicted to cocaine. Like when you tell people that on the street, like their, their mind's blown. And I'm like, yeah, man, the guy that, like, if he, they know who for it is. <laughs> it, yeah, if they know, yeah, good point. But that's like, so one time, I remember one one of my most depressing days at work, I was at work listening to Tom Waits, and I said something to my buddy about Tom Waits, and he's like, who the fuck is that? I'm like, what do you mean, who? The, Tom Waits? I literally went down two teams that I worked on, we built the rear suspension of the Jeep Cherokee on the, like a little mini sub, sub-assembly line, there was, like 16 workers. Not one of the 16 workers knew who Tom Waits was. That's the world we live in, man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Sigmund Freud got addicted to coke. That's in my book. I wrote that little fact in there. So uh, I don't know. That's what it's about. <laughs> I
0: think the uh, little um, essays really do, um, you know, support your story because you know the the mini essays, you know, make it universal and and go into like uh, you know clinical kind of. It supports your story that, you know, the, it's not just an isolated incident, and, you know, they reinforce each other, the, the fictionalized story and the, the facts, really, it was a good combination and a good break in the energy, you know, I, I, obviously I finished his new novel too, and it's, uh, it's his most uh, personal, I would say, and uh, again, really, really smooth, uh, fun read, and um, heartbreaking in many points the people that
2: didn't make it and what people I go through you know every day
3: yeah, that's a great
0: endorsement yeah thanks
3: boss. yeah it, uh, I, I told uh, Garrett when we first started recording that I went full on fuck it with this book like
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> like you know I, I think that that's it's important for me we talked about this in my book release I had a couple of college professors asking me questions about this and that blows my mind man but they were asking about we were talking about the difference between truth in fact. Yeah. And that's exactly like uh, and that was like I'm glad somebody brought that up. They're smarter than me <laughs> because that's what I want to do. I want to tell the truth without telling the facts and like throwing other people. Like I don't I don't want to tell other people's story. I just want to tell mine, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, but I want to do it in a truthful way without sharing all the facts. Does that make sense? Yeah.
2: All right, uh, let's uh, go back a little bit with your uh, previous book, 100 Hour Week Motel. Uh, overall, how was the reception for that book? And uh, how did it influence the writing of The Dead and the Desperate?
3: Uh, Well, the reception has been almost overwhelmingly good. Uh, One of the things I'm most proud of is that a ton of factory workers read it. Uh, Even my new book, The Dead and the Desperate, like there's, I bet probably 60 or 70% of my book sales are like blue-collar factory worker kind of people. And the fact that they read a book is, I made it as a writer, man. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um. So, overwhelmingly, that like, the reception has been really good. Uh, I mean, I, I was, it makes me feel like I brag when I say this, but it's so important to me. Like, the guy that helped edit the Outlaw Bible of American Poetry, which is like my very textbook as a poet, as a college dropout, that's how I learned to be a poet. The guy that edited that loved my first book so much, he wrote a foreword for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's like, you know, so the reception's been pretty good, Garrett. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, do these uh, does uh, then desperate and hundred dollar week motel share anything like does it continue the plot from the previous
3: book or the uh, yeah. character same characters returning at all? Sorta. Of. Uh, I I don't I don't mean always for the main characters in my book to sound like they're me. Except that I like writing in first person I found out is so much easier than keeping track of third person, man. Uh, I can't do that shit. I can't tell stories that way.
2: Honestly, like honestly if with first person it's
3: inevitable to some extent. Yeah. Like, so uh I but definitely the three books, Hundred Dollar Week Motel, Finding Jesus, and the Dead and the Desperate, are 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 autobiographical enough that they fit together, I think. Like they're all the same kind of working your ass off life's fucking you over, you, you know, kind of, you know, drug addiction and all that kind of life, you know?
2: Yeah. Oh, uh, before we continue next question, uh, I want to share this photo with you because, uh, whenever I come here to Chicago, I park my car in uh, Michigan city and, uh, hop the South Shore Line at Carroll Avenue. And, uh, during our route there, I saw this and I've seen it a hundred times, but I'm like, Oh shit, I gotta take a picture of that. Uh, yeah, it's this picture here of a $300, $350 a week oh, motel. Nice. Yeah, a move-in special of $799 or $200 for three days. This is in Gary, Indiana. Uh,
3: yeah, you know... Uh, uh, times have changed, huh? Yeah. From a $100 week motel. The last motel I lived in was in South Toledo. It was in 2006 when I got sober. And I paid $179 a week, I think. And uh, one of the things that, like, I don't know if I was insanely wealthy, I think I could travel around and just live in motels. Because one of the things as a bachelor I've always loved is that somebody comes and makes the bed once a week, changes the sheets. You
1: know what I mean? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Stuff that I'm not good at, man. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's the times have definitely changed. Inflation's a motherfucker, man.
2: Yeah, you see, this is all because of Bidenomics. If we uh, if we would just get Trump back in, he will make America great again. He will make. Motels, $100
3: a week again. <laughs> Donald Trump has a golden toilet in his He lives in a motel. It's just a lot more expensive than $100 a week.
2: Yeah, that's one way to look at it. But, well, you might be losing it right now.
0: True. The thing about a golden toilet is if you pee on the seat, you can't see it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: The characters in my book definitely peel in this toilet too.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Wesley Hines, for that uh, wonderful observation. <laughs> okay. All right, but back to the series interview. All right, so uh, what was the writing process like for uh, this book? Well,
3: so when I wrote this book and I decided to kind of go like full on bucket, like I said, uh, it took months. It was the same kind of process. I would write on my Mac computer, you know, not to shout out brands or shit like that. I only say that because when I bought that computer, it automatically synced to my iPhone, and that changed my life as a writer.
2: Uh, Steve Jobs, thank you for the endorsement
3: uh, from I, his grade. I, I'm not trying to. Yeah, they they need to pay me maybe a little 10% or something. To, <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, uh, so the same the process was much the same as all my books. That I learned was that I would write at home a lot, and then I can. If I'm riding the bus in Chicago on a weekend, I can edit on my iPhone, and so that was much the same process. But the difference was this book, like Wes said, was the most personal thing I've ever written. There's a like, not all of them, but there's a lot of my demons in this book, and uh, not to be cliche, but it took me. It was so desperate and dark writing it, and it took me back to my 20s. Like I've been sober 17 years. Matter of fact, uh, I got a picture. The last bar I ever got kicked out of in my life, uh, they just <laughs> tore it down in Toledo. That's how long I've been sober. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it took me back to that time where I was i was in my mid-20s, and I, I was doing my best to survive a really traumatic childhood in life. Uh, I, when I say I grew up in poverty, like, like we were at food banks every week. You know what I mean? Like it's a yeah. life that a lot of Americans maybe don't know exists. So I was doing my best in my mid-20s with my own mental health trying to survive that trauma. And writing this book to get that authentic tale was so, like, it took me back to therapy. Like, I started real intense therapy again because it dug up some things that I'm like, oh, shit, you know, I need to work, you know. Um, well, I guess that was a process, you know. <laughs> it's got a lot of me in it. Yeah, uh, so, so
2: far, uh, how long has the book been out?
3: It officially came out last Saturday, so seven days. Oh, uh, oh, oh, wow! I, as, re- I really am bad with time because I thought it'd been out long. Well, as often happens in the Independent Press, uh, like the pre-orders went out like three or four weeks ago, you know, so it's been getting in people's hands for about three or four weeks.
2: All right. So, uh, what have you been doing to uh, promote the novel?
3: <sighs> Anything I can. Uh, this talking to Garrett Schulke on the Garrett Schulke podcast. Um, I was on. I got to be on uh, our local uh, uh, PBS NPR station. Uh, oh, really? They had, like, a, a buddy of mine who's a local writer in Toledo uh, got a got picked. He, like, sent an idea, and they asked him to host. A ten. They're gonna, he's going to do 10 episodes a season. Um, it's like Voices in Toledo or something. And uh, kind of, like, not unlike what like maybe what Damian Rucci is doing out in New Jersey a little bit with the Voices in the Garden they did on there, but they got, like, a two-hour documentary on TV. I just got a half-hour podcast episode. But that... Uh, I don't know. What else am I doing to promote it, Wes? Sharing it on Facebook. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly tonight at this reading in Chicago, if I do my job, well, I'll sell more books tonight than I will in the next three weeks. Like that's the best way I've ever had success selling books, is showing up with books in hand and reading. And getting you know, that like the I think the thing the thing that is probably frustrating for any artist is I'm finally at a point where I think I'm a good enough writer. If I can get people to open the book, I got them. Mm-hmm. But it's how do you get them to find the book?
2: You know what I mean? Uh, I'm, yeah, every indie writer's uh, major problem right there. How do I get out? Uh,
3: like I mentioned earlier, it's on Ingram, so I'm working to get it in bookstores, independent bookstores. But this is a one, at a one at a time. Like this takes me weeks emailing back and forth with, you know, finding out who's responsible for ordering books, sending them my press release and my bio. Uh, one of the things that's really helped me a lot is I've been highlighting former union, UAW union steward. You know, uh, I didn't want to use the fact. So when I was a union steward, I would never share on the Facebook pages that I wrote books because I didn't want people to think that I was using my position. You know what I mean? Yeah. But now that I'm past that, and it almost killed me, uh, you know, like people.
2: Oh yeah, it's like uh, you know, it's like Ben Hamper who. Uh, is famous for writing Rivethead, mm-hmm. which uh, he talked about his really. time working in the auto shops in Flint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I think he wrote that when he was still working, or at least like near the end of it.
3: I, yeah, it was in the late '70s, early '80s. I think he was still working there. Yeah, or maybe right at the end, he updated it and he left. Remember? Yeah. So yeah, right around. Yeah, I met him uh, twice by oh, the way shit. up in Traverse City. <sighs> He's one of my like underground heroes, man.
2: Oh yeah, cool dude. He still does
3: his. uh country radio program Sundays up there. Yeah. He, uh, Michael Moore too. I'd like to, I need to get on Michael Moore's podcast someday.
2: <laughs> uh, oh yeah. R- you know? Rumble, which God, I'm sorry. I love Michael Moore too. He's the only liberal that I still like, but God, awful name for a podcast. Just rumble. Oh, well, I, mean, I mean, makes the Garrett Schalke podcast. Just stroke a genius. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Garrett. I agree.
2: All right, so the book just came out, uh, but how has the reception been so far? Uh,
3: even better than the other books, really. Um, Wes wrote a review that was I, one of the things I really appreciated about Wes's like words about it was that it was it was you know kind of full on Bukowski, and it is you know like there's you know, Bukowski is definitely one of the biggest influences in my life, but he also mentioned that it like goes deeper than that, and that's one of the things that I've, I'm most proud of is that. I found Bukowski in my 20s when I was living a life like Bukowski. But thank goodness I, like, found, uh, you know, like Sylvia Plath and Virginia Woolf and Maya Angelou. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And thank God I moved on beyond Bukowski. Um, but that was one of the things I really appreciated were,
0: like, Wes's words. Yeah, like, um, I, I used that hook because, you know, everyone has read Bukowski and Dan uh, writes in a simple accessible style in a similar way so yeah everyone from librarians to you know intellectuals to people that are working in factories can enjoy it and read it quickly and absorb it you know like a a movie you know and and I did mention yeah, imagine a, a 21st century Bukowski that you know has a political consciousness you know works in the union and you know it has a more enlightened understanding of the battle of the sexes you know <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so yeah there's, the, there's a lot of uh,
2: people that, honestly there's not there's not a lot to uh do to improve upon bukowski in regards to everything
0: yeah but right. times have changed too you know oh, yeah. like uh, there's there's a lot of uh, poets out there that think if they get drunk and write about pussy that they're you know <laughs> carrying on tradition but Dan oh. understands the dynamic of you're you right as who you are as a man a working-class guy and we got to be tough guys in this world and but when you let your mask down and show your, your feelings like God my friend died of heroin you know my you know I can't see my kids you know um, and showing you know the the Bukowski's bluebird in his pocket, you know, that yep. analogy that, yeah, I'm a tough guy, but underneath, you know, we all have both sides, and that's what good. makes good writing interesting is that he shows both sides.
2: God, I have
0: thought about that with
2: Bukowski, along with a lot of other writers, and uh, I'm sad, I'm glad that he passed away when he did, because, uh, <laughs> wow, uh, if he was alive in publishing today. Yeah, he would, I, yeah. Not, not even his fault, but, you know. Well, can, you know, can you, can you imagine, like, I don't know, Stephen Crowder, you know, the woke mob trying to silence Bukowski? I,
3: you know, I, I think, uh, I mean, he was definitely not the ideal like human uh, man. You know what I mean? Oh, but he's not. Yo, oh, like, you don't the, say. that. Thing, <laughs> thing, the thing that I've always found interesting is that Bukowski. Wasn't doing shit any different than real famous people were in that time he lived in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In the 1960s and 70s, men were atrocious. <laughs> men in power <laughs> were atrocious. Bukowski was just open about it and poor and didn't have like PR people. You know what I mean? Like let like I'm not I'm not excusing him at all. But you know he wasn't doing anything different than other like artists were doing in his time period.
0: The difference was is that he wasn't. A pretty rock star who can get away with murder he was a, not a very attractive man who didn't get laid until yeah. he was 24 and didn't have a very good understanding of women because you know his bad childhood and he leaned into the outlaw poet he he took the uh, negative stereotypes and yeah plus leaned into
2: p- them hard plus again. by the time he got really famous i think he he was retired well no not retired he quit but uh yeah, I think he was just, like, too old and secure to, like, really care about his image all that much. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, one of the things, I, I still believe that artists need to, like, push the boundaries and shock people. And, you know, despite the culture wars, be like, hey, this is the truth, no matter what the party line is on the right or the left. And and just tell the truth and
2: I, I agree. the consequences, you know? I agree. Just, uh, yeah. just... Be less of a dick than Bukowski oh, yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to be less of a
0: dick in general. That's always a good rule. Yeah, you, you can tell when someone is writing for shock value for the sake of shock, and someone who actually went through a genuine experience like Dan did, and is you know expressing that, and it, if it's shocking to you know the bourgeois pit, then
2: so what? <laughs> well, we have got to get kicked out. So I don't think they're fine with what we're doing. <laughs>
3: apparently I know the owner I guess or I know the owner's cousin
2: well actually I am uh, this is a lot more low grade than my other podcasts because I'm not screaming out death threats or uh, dick jokes or telling
3: people they they belong in gulags they don't agree with me politically so (laughs) one of the things, let me ask you this Garrett I hate social media with a passion (laughs) I can't imagine why Dan but I have to have it because I'm a writer I'm an independent writer. Like, I don't have a PR team. I don't have, you know what I mean? Like, I need to be on social media to sell books to get, you know.
0: But mm.
3: one of the things that I've gotten real careful about the last couple years is, like, I, I try to just post, like, writer shit. Mm. Because I don't, like, I don't, like, I've been, like, banned from Facebook for, like, a week before. So, oh, dude. You know, I've, for, like, I've, I've dumb gotten, shit. I've gotten worse. I yeah, I know you have. That's why I was going to ask you. I is mean. That, is that something you consider anymore, or are you just like, fucking, I'm Garrett anyway?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, I do it solely for fun now and for enjoyment. Like, like I do honestly post my stuff on there, but, yeah, it, honestly, unlike you, it hasn't, like, really done me much good in terms of, like, sales for stuff. But, uh, so, and I've experienced so much stress over the years, mainly due to, like, me getting into arguments with uh, reactionary types, because for some reason I thought, oh, hey, I could change the world if I troll this guy. <laughs> so, so, I still, like, occasionally, like, yeah. Yeah, so like I cut down on that, which has resulted in me not getting thirty <laughs> to two month bans. But uh, yeah, my opinion on it has a. I still like it. I still find a lot of good in it. Like I wouldn't have found out about either Dead Mouse Night or even the Gallery Cabaret reading if it yeah. wasn't for it. Well, and that's. But I try not to like depend on it anymore. Plus a uh, lot more loose because, uh, yeah, it's all bad. It's yeah. it's getting worse. Like well, I'm probably gonna get off Twitter soon because Elon wants to charge me a buck. Yeah, I'm not gonna pay. I'm sorry. Yeah,
3: no. It's not Twitter anymore. It's X. X. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah.
3: Oh, okay. X. Okay,
2: uh, get ready right pay the price. But
3: I would like to point out there, like you said, there are a lot of there's there's good. Like we all three of us met because of social media. Yeah. Like I no, I think we met first in Michigan City. God, I can't remember.
2: Yeah, I forget. But anyway, whether,
3: we've all, we're we've, all better friends because of social media.
2: Yeah, we. Yeah, honestly, I have met uh, Wes here online. Yeah, yeah I just friended you one I met day. Wes
3: originally. Yeah. So.
2: Uh, you God, I, I can't forget whether it was first we met in
3: person or over. That, man, whatever. It's too many years. I, after twelve months, I don't have to remember anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I man. just, I one thing I think is cool about that. So me and Garrett met. We were both just like open micers. Like nobody knew who we were like you had a book just out and like I had I didn't have a poetry book published yet.
2: Yeah, I had my second book. I had some poetry books. Yeah. And I did have a have a photo set out, so the flyer had me in like my suit and shit.
3: Nice. Yep. I remember uh I met you and you were Oh yeah. I met you and uh, you were a uh, you said you were a Myers Un- or oh, sh- you were a warehouse the- union worker. Yeah, to- uh, totally, <laughs> to-
2: totally not at the place that's no. owned by one of the three oligarchical
3: families that run Grand Rapids. Totally not. No, definitely it. not. Uh, anyway, and I was like, <laughs> oh, hell yeah, another union worker. But in the there's a group photo from all the poets at that festival.
2: I think I know what you're talking if about. If
3: you're looking at it, there's two people in there with the race Solidarity fist in that picture.
2: Oh, actually, uh, you had the South Airy Fist. I was doing this. Oh, uh, were you? I thought you were raising your fist, too. Well, because I'm a weeb. I love the anime and the mangas, and they do this all the time, so uh, I adopt that because I'm annoying.
3: I am not a weeb, my 12-year-old told me. but uh, <laughs> Do you not know what Boruto is? I do know. Oh, okay, there you go. I You're watched right. uh, My Hero Academia with my 12-year-old. Nice, that's so my, my 12-year-old yeah. was my one kid I couldn't get him to read. And finally, I taken them to the independent bookstore, my friend Denise that owns a Gathering volume. Shout out to them. They're a great bookstore, and they've been good to me. And you can order my book from there, Garrett. Uh, but uh, she introduced my, my kid to a manga, and my kid's read over 100 mangas now. Not only that, they're in art school as a, in seventh grade, and their medium is uh, graphic arts. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to talk me into uh, writing a graphic novel with them. They'll illustrate and I'll write. Oh, I've nice. never... I, who, I don't know how to do that, but I'm going to try. But, yeah, so yeah, uh, dude. I'm not a weeb, but uh, I'm a huge fan of any kind of art that's productive and good, you know. Specific. I mean,
2: we got time. I can make you a
3: weeb. <laughs> I don't, yeah, you know. The older I get, the less I watch okay, non-documentary well, stuff.
2: Well, I will just give you one suggestion. Uh, the greatest anime of all, all time. It's called Hamtaro.
3: Watch that. Where can I find it? <laughs> What, what, <laughs> what, what, where's it streaming, Garrett? Is that what the kids uh, said? I
2: have no clue, but uh, it's a anime about hamsters that come to life and their adventures. I'm
3: totally how, how do you spell that?
2: H A M T A R O. Okay. Oh, wow. Some clicking here. Hold on. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do like the show, but I do like to. Say that to people, just get their reactions like hamsters. <laughs> 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 All right, so uh, let's let's uh, finish up this uh, podcast here, our last section. Oh, uh, yeah, as we've talked about many times, you are now retired from being an auto worker. You were a member of the UAW, a U steward, and other positions. Uh, I take it that you've noticed that they've been uh, doing some striking here for like the past two months.
3: Uh, yeah. Uh, so one of the, and it's like everything in life, there's a lot of duality to everything, right? right. Like part of me wishes I was there still fighting with the people that I really care about. Like one of the things that I hope people understand by reading my books is when you spend 50 hours a week next to a guy, on an assembly line, that guy gets to be like your family, for better or for worse. So these people are people I'm really close to, people that elected me be union steward, I represented them. I know, I know when their grandkids were born. I know, you know what I'm saying? I know when their <laughs> knees were replaced. Uh, so I wish I was there fighting with them, but also I'm really, really happy I'm not there being ate up by the stress. Because yeah. like, the, the people I served with in the union are sleeping like three hours a night right now. You know, like yeah. this is the most stressful time of their life.
2: Yeah, uh, back when... Uh... Back when you were an auto worker, uh, were you involved in any strikes or labor actions?
3: I not as an auto worker. Uh, as a Teamster once, uh, we went on strike for like twenty four hours. Oh, you were a Teamster too. Yeah, I was a Teamster years ago, in my 20s. So that's kind. Of, that's that's how I got radicalized, Garrett. When I was twenty years old, I got my first Teamster job. Random. I just applied for a factory. I just needed a job. I didn't give a shit if it was a Teamster job. I didn't give a shit if it was a union. I just needed a job. So I applied. I got hired in. and, got, and It was a Teamster job. One of my first weeks on the job, there was this old hippie guy there that had, like, a red-eyed – no, it wasn't red-eyed right. he had, like, a sleepless, like, band t-shirts on all the time and long hair. But well, one day I came to work with my lunch in a Walmart bag. <laughs> and this dude said, you know, if you took your lunch to work at Walmart in a Teamster bag, they'd your ass, kid. And I'm like, what? And I'm, he's like, yeah, don't you pay attention? And I did pay attention. And so I started paying – and I haven't been to a Walmart – fuck walmart i ain't been there in 20 some <laughs> years 25 years you know and that 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 guy radicalized me that guy got me to pay attention about what was going on with workers man so yeah as a teamster i have never as a uaw worker no i had a the opportunity to support probably 50 strikes but not personally as a uaw worker all right so
2: uh this uh recent strike that like i said it's been going on for two months now so 42 far? days now 41 days something uh, like that month and a half yeah uh have you visited the striking workers?
3: Oh yeah. Uh, so I've been on the picket lines at the Toledo Jeep plant where I used to work uh, probably a dozen times now. Uh, one of the things I've done my best. So I, I write a weekly column. I should plug this, Garrett. I write a I write a weekly column for an online magazine called A Thin Slice of Anxiety.
2: Oh yeah, I've yeah, Coe Sexton's Sexton.
1: Yep. Uh, uh, yeah, I've
3: had I've had poetry yep. published in there. And Code you. and they're they're a really inclusive. I don't know transgressive. But like they're definitely transgressive, but they're like they push the boundaries, you know, in like underground literature. But Cody's has given me free reign to write whatever the hell I want to write about. Nice. And so one of the things I really wanted to do is I quit my job as a union worker to be a writer. So I've tried my best to write, to write it, to use my writing it to help the strike. You know, uh, one of the col- one of the early columns I wrote, by the way, uh, described the history of Jeep and what it was like as a union worker. And it got shared maybe several hundred thousand times it's been seen now. Uh, <laughs> my ex-mother-in-law is pissed at me because CNN and Washington Post people reached out to like ask me about this article. <laughs> uh, but in true Dan didn't fashion, I let labor notes and another online labor people share it. And go. I never called CNN or the Washington Post. <laughs> I'm busy. Fuck <laughs> like, them. They don't care about me as a writer. They just want to talk about you. You know what I mean? Uh, but, well, yeah, so, I, you know, I, I've tried to help as a writer, but I've been down the picket line a lot. I've been trying to help rally get firewood donated. Well, at least it's not Fox News. That it, not Fox, content. Well, you know,
2: I mean, it would it, uh, probably be, well, if they did, it would probably be more like UAW destroying America, the American economy. <laughs> we have a former retired <laughs> worker who reveals this.
3: <laughs> I was going to say, if, if Fox News called me for an interview, I can't imagine they'd call me twice. That's all. Uh, <laughs> which might be true of MSNBC and CNN also. Neil Cavuto would not like <laughs> you. <laughs>
2: all right, so uh, what do you think of the UAW strategy right
3: now? Uh, I, so first of all, I I got to help get President Fein elected. Uh, I got a, one of one of my favorite things is I got a photo with me and him. Um, I had a chance to meet him a couple times. Um, I was part of. I worked with like some people in the UAWD, it's called the Unite All Workers for Democracy, which was kind of like the progressive faction of the UAW that got him elected. Um, so I got to be, like I know a lot of those guys, I got to be a part of that a little bit. Um, I really 100% support, um, one of the things I'm I'm so happy about is we finally have a UAW president that's taken on the, you know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah. Walter Ruther, the guy that founded the UAW, that organized the UAW into a powerhouse, in the 1950s, the Republicans said he was the most dangerous man in America.
2: Oh, yeah, they tend to uh, say that a lot about union leaders.
3: And so it's sure. about time we got another union leader that's standing up and saying, hey, we're taking on all of the corporate greed. Hey, we're standing – like, he wore a shirt that said eat the rich. <laughs> yeah. I fully support, you know.
2: Um, yeah, well, what is – now if I recall their strategy, I forget what it's called. I think they did stand in up strike. Yeah, it? they did in yeah. Europe. What is it? Basically like they'll shut they'll strike at certain places and then make demands. Then when they re- when the makers refuse, it's like, okay, well we're gonna shut off on this one
3: now. Yep. So they I think it was very strategic because first of all, it's historic and it's the first time ever in history that the UAW struck all three big three at one time. They've never in history been a Ford, GM, and still a Chrysler strike all at the same time, so that's historical. But they did a uh, like a one plant at a time strike. So they the Toledo Jeep plant was the first plant at strike a Chrysler to strike. They went out at 11:59 p.m. when the contract expired, and uh, they've been on strike ever since. But what they did, a couple things it does. It puts pressure on the company. You know, they they every week they would shut down another plant. That they weren't making progress, so it puts pressure on the company every week without disabling the company. But number two, think about this: if all UAW members go on strike at once, they got to pay every member five hundred dollars a week strike pay, right? Yep. If one plant goes on strike and a thousand people get laid off, who pays them?
1: Hmm.
3: Not the UAW. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's a lot of probably things that people aren't considering. That's probably brilliant, or at least different, and. At least they're like thinking you know, their strategy behind it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And if you remember the UAW, like the the Chrysler division of the UAW got bribed. They literally took bribes from Chrysler to give us shit contracts for years. So I'm like this is a 180 degree difference. You know, it's good to see them standing up to finally. You know. Yeah. Uh, overall, uh, in
2: your opinion, after all the years you worked there, uh, how long do you
3: think this strike will
2: last, and what do you think will the results be?
3: So uh, I. Today, we'll probably hear an announcement that GM and Stellantis, like we heard last night, they're close. So once Ford made an agreement, and this is what happens, once one of the big three makes an agreement, the other two usually follow behind them, right? Like the union the union's not going to accept $10 an hour less at GM than they are at Ford. So once they had an attentive agreement with Ford on Wednesday, uh, I, I bet by Monday we'll hear that GM and Stellantis agreed to the same deal. So at that point, the union workers will go back to work. And they'll read the tentative agreement, but the one of the things that I love about how unions are supposed to work is that the members are the highest authority. So the members have a right to vote this down. But I think, number one, if you've been out on strike for 40 days, and uh, you're getting the 25% raise over the life of this contract, you know, I, I think it's going to pass. I think they're going to. I think union workers will be back to work by the end of this month or by or early in November. Well, we can certainly hope so. Yeah. Well, you, one of the things I wanted to mention, that's huge. It's for the first time since, like, the bankruptcy in 2008 or 2009 during the Great Recession, Yeah, uh, a cost of living adjustment is coming back to a union contract. <laughs> we lost that. Like, like if, right, right now, look, like inflation is inflation. Mm-hmm. If the inflation goes up 3%, my wage goes up 3%. Like, the, what a beautiful thing, you know? So I think that, uh,
1: yeah, this is good.
3: And I know you're excited about this too, Gary. For the first time, the mainstream American news Talked about a 32 hour work week. Hell yeah. Oh, like, yeah. That's the power of a strong union. All of a sudden, everybody in America is talking about what's a 32 hour work week. Mm-hmm. Fuck, man, Europe's been doing that shit for 20 years, you know? Not about 20, but a long time. Ha, ah, man. <coughs> Hold on a second.
1: <coughs> ha. Ah. All
3: right.
2: I believe that is the interview. Uh, Dan Denton, folks, uh, Wesley Hines coming on in too. Uh, thanks for uh, showing up, and uh, yeah, dude, it was really good to see you again. I'm glad your uh, new book is doing well. I'm glad you're doing fairly well, okay. and yeah. it gets better. Yeah. Well, All right, yes. uh, promo time. Uh, where can people find you online? Where can they find your books? Where can they see you read?
3: Uh, real quick, though, I want to say thank you to Garrett Schulke and to Wesley Hine. Both guys, uh, Wes, were featuring me tonight at his reading. Or Garrett for hosting me on his podcast. My book, "The Dead and the Desperate," or you can find me at Dan Denton on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram at, as Pork Chop Seventy Eight, but I don't know how to use the Instagram that well, so I just post random selfies that I think are cool. You know, I don't know.
2: It's either that or means
3: Yeah, so one or the author. Instagram is Pork Chop Seventy Eight. I do have a website, but I haven't learned how to build it all the way yet. So there's only like a author bio page. It's thedandenton.com. Because DanDenton.com was obviously taken. And there's so, another Dan Denton. Yeah, oh. there's actually okay, I guess several. Oh, but uh, I was going to do like Dan Denton writer, then I'm like, nah, fuck it. I am the Dan Denton. So uh,
2: there's a bizarre writer I'm friends with named Jeff Burke. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. He he's he, he has to have JeffBurkeWriter.com or whatever it is because there's another Jeff Burke out there who's like a lawyer. And, yeah, uh,
3: there's he's, a he's been uh,
2: trying for years to like take over that domain. Oh, he's just a, not giving up.
3: There's a Danny Denton that's a, a, a novelist in Ireland. And it's probably, if I traced it back, like the length of my family history, it's probably some kind of long-distance cousins or something. But, Jeez. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so you can find me at Dan Denton, Porkchop78 on Instagram. And uh, my book, The Dead and the Desperate, from Roadside Press, is available at MagicalJeep.com. And Gathering Volumes Bookstore in Perrysburg, in the store or online. Uh you could look me up on Facebook and order a copy from me, but it'll, it might take me five days to ship it out. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> it'll get there when it gets That's, there. Yeah. Uh, deal with the no snowflakes. <laughs> I'm busy, man. All right. I get lost, you know. I don't even know what day it is half the time.
2: Okay. Uh, Wes, is there anything you would like to promote?
0: Um. Yeah. I have my books also with the Magical Jeep and Roadside Press. Um Yeah, busking blues, and uh, my poetry collection called Street Corner Spirits, and yeah, you can find them at the usual um, book ordering sites, you know, Barnes and Noble, etc. And um, yeah, I just, you know, thanks for having me a part of this. I am, I think Dan and myself are, are part of a, of a, of a kind of a underground movement that is always been there, but it's taken on a new kind of generation shade. You know, as a musician, I always notice that music usually kind of opens the doors for a lot of um, literary movements. You know, like there was jazz before the beat generation, and then there was some rock and roll poets. I, I feel that right now, um, the guys who grew up on heavy metal and punk and are growing up and bringing that kind of sensibility... To um, literature, so you know, Dan myself, other people in uh, roadside press, Stephen Malone, and other people are, you know, that kind of garage band voice is, is finally like writing yeah. poems. You know,
2: God, you think this is good now? Wait until uh, the next generation comes, <laughs> who are influenced by SoundCloud rap. All right, yeah, uh, yeah, re- Yeah, glad you could join us. Very nice to meet you for the first time, and uh, we'll talk more later. But. I do want to have you on in the future for a whole formal episode. Then we can get in on everything about your career and your work. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're on my to my guest wish list, which is a lot better than my hit list. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh,
3: that, you can't say that on social media.
0: No. That'd be great if you like shot the guest at the end,
2: you know. <laughs> oh man.
0: <laughs> Yeah,
2: that'd be a great serial killer concept. (laughs) Interviews you and kills you. Well, I can't say on Facebook, but I can say on this podcast. Because of free speech. All right, folks. Uh, Yeah, my battery's about to die out, too, so this is pretty good timing. Uh, You can still find me in the same places GarethShelkey.tumblr.com, at GarethShelkey on Twitter before Elon charged me a buck for it. Uh, The Cheeseburger Blues and Uh, Exploration, uh, yeah, yeah, God, I'm really flaming out here. I'm tired. But uh, the Cheeseburger Blues, Exploration, the Damn Blues Rock, which me and my editor Zach Elmblad are doing is out now. We're about three episodes in, three more to go. Uh, yeah, my uh, next novel, Goat and the Gladiator Killer, is now being serialized on Wattpad. Like I said, number six baby in the serialization charts.
3: Congratulations, that's huge, man.
2: Yeah. So uh, yeah everyone, thanks for uh, listening Dan, thanks for uh, being on Wes, thanks for being on Uh, Shout out to the bourgeoisie pig Even though they improved this Uh, Hopefully their smooth jazz doesn't give me copyrights Yep, that's it folks Here is the outro song One, two, one, two,
1: three, four Jesus, keep us safe from the cops 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 I swear, we didn't do anything so why are you tailin' us, mm. like we stole everything? Mm. And Jesus, keep us safe from the cops! And Jesus, keep us safe from the cops! And Jesus, keep us safe from the cops! And Jesus, keep us safe from the cops I was sleeping Mm -hmm. in a parking lot Mm -hmm. They said they'll kill you Mm -hmm. on this very spot Mm -hmm. Then a few hours later, Mm -hmm. his friends came around Mm -hmm. Said, listen here, boy. You best get out of our town. And Jesus, keep us safe from the cops. Keep us safe. Jesus, keep us safe from the cops. Yes, Lord, keep us safe. Jesus.